Welcome to EduBlender, a new podcast discussing the hot issues within Scottish education. This episode features an in-depth look at assessment. We've also got our regular features in the news, we recommend and inspired by. And you can follow us on Twitter with the handle at EduBlender. And we want to just say thanks for all the really positive feedback we've had on our Twitter account. Please keep that coming. Your suggestions are very welcome and your positive feedback is helpful. It really makes us feel better about ourselves as well, so thanks for that. So we're going to get started with our first feature of the episode um, in the news. So our first headline is that there is a further 120 million confirmed in the most recent Scottish government budget for PEF funding. So that's the pupil equity fund, isn't it? The pu- pupil equity fund, yeah. Um, so they've secured another 120 million going forward, so it's another round, um, exactly the same amount as was secured this year, mm-hmm. but they're just going ahead with another 120 million. And that's money direct to teachers or head teachers to use how they see fit. And I guess a wee bit, that money's been used um, mainly, I guess, in, in my experience for additional staffing, maybe we've used it to have a look at leadership opportunities um, and really to um, focus in on those young people who need that support the most. Yeah, and I think it's a really inspirational thing to reduce the attainment gap and to actually put the money in the hands of the people that know the children so well, that know exactly what would happen because everyone's attainment gap in every school is different. So actually focusing in on that, and I think it's really welcome news to know that there's an extra £120 million there uh, going forward, and hopefully that will continue for the foreseeable future. The one caveat, the concern I have, um, is a sort of accompanying news story in that I think some local authorities, and there's a concern that some local authorities are just using it to shore up cuts from elsewhere so it's not actually going to to the children that it's meant to be benefiting in some instances so I think if it is going forward it's something that needs there needs to be really rigorous assessment tools to make sure that it's having the impact that it's meant to because it's a whole lot of money um, and we can't just be throwing it away. Definitely. Our next news item is only 49% of pupils are hitting the expected standard for writing. Now this is specifically um, primary age pupils um, coming into secondary um, with only 49% though. Yes, the news story was going into 49%, so less than half are hitting the expected, um, so they're they're achieving secure level at at second level um, for writing. Now, less than half. Now, that's really worrying for me, I suppose, as uh, working as a primary teacher. realising that, so that's the professional judgement of teachers, they're saying that less than half are at the expected levels. Now, my immediate question with that is, is there a misunderstanding of what an expected level is? Totally. Which is, which is a worrying thing because mm-hmm. actually that's a, there's a big misunderstanding if that is the case. Mm-hmm. Or the or second way of looking at <laughs> Exactly. Because yeah. you can't access all these additional um, subject areas in secondary if you cannot have a, a, an acceptable standard standard of writing. Yeah. Um, um, and I just I thought that was a really interesting news story because I think that's more than just a, a coincidence, you know, if, mm. if more than one out of two pupils is not achieving these expected standards, is the standard too high? Mm-hmm. 
um, are, is there really a crisis? I think it's something that needs to be uh, looked into. But I know from from my own experience that teaching second level writing um, and making sure that children are on track with that is actually a really hard thing. Mm -hmm. There are really high expectations there. Um, and I know that, 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 that writing is a really difficult thing to get children really excited about mm. and to get them motivated and sometimes to see the relevance of. I think mm. there's an over-reliance on creative writing and storytelling in primary schools and mm -hmm. I think children really struggle to see to see the benefit, the relevance, mm -hmm. to see why if they don't want to be an author, it's quite hard to motivate them to, to, to be able to show that standard by writing a creative story. So I think my, my argument would be to make writing much more about functional writing, about persuasive writing, about debating points that are meaningful and relevant to them. So I think that's the first thing that we need to do, is to think about how we can make writing more relevant and more accessible for children. And our last news story of the feature is um, that handwritten exams are said to disappear by the year 2027. And we're nearing that that point ever closer, aren't we? Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, I guess, around SQA exams. This has come from the chief executive of the SQA, um, Dr Janet Brown, who said that they will disappear by that point. Presumably that will mean that we will have digital exams. Now we have digital exams at the moment, mm. um, but generally they're, they're used for kind of alternative assessment arrangements. But it'd be really interesting to see, okay, if that's going to be the shift, how is that going to happen in, in practical terms in a, in a school? Yep. You know, in terms of accessing IT. But also, I mean, I'm, I love technology and I know you do as well, Jude, but I also think that writing is a skill and we can't get away from that as well, so it'll be really interesting to see how that pairs out, because does that mean if we're not going to be um, completing assessments in, in handwriting, using pen and paper, are we not going to be using that in schools? You know, what's it going to look like in a school in by 2027? And I, I think, for me, looking at it... Um if, if money wasn't an issue, if there was no other, and it always comes down to money, actually I would wholly support that because I think that, I mean, industry and skills for work, we're, we're moving towards a point where handwriting is becoming less and less necessary. Mm -hmm. I think we do need to be moving the same way and we're behind in schools and I think that comes just down to resources which comes down to money. Um, so I think in an idealistic sense, I think that's a great thing to be working towards that and I think actually to say if we can get to that point within 10 years, I wholeheartedly support that. My one big bugbear would be how can we ensure equity because there's going to be children who have access to technology everywhere and there's going to be children who don't have any technology at home who are going to really struggle and there's going to be a, a gap I would say opening up there and is it just going to further highlight that attainment gap? There would be so many questions that I would have with that, but it's a really interesting story and I think it's a good discussion to be having. So that was your three news headlines for this episode of EduBlether. Okay, moving on to the main feature of the episode, where we're going to discuss and take a bit of an in-depth look at assessment. Um, and more specifically, formative assessment, or assessment is for learning strategies. Um, for us, um, Jason and I, we, we both uh, have, are in the privileged position where we get to spend a lot of time in other people's classrooms and shared classroom experiences. Um, and I think we've discussed this before, but one of the main things for us when we're walking into a classroom, one of the main things that we 
are looking for is this evidence of a learning dialogue being mm-hmm. being really front and centre within the classroom. Definitely. So the pupils being the owners of their learning. Exactly. Being aware of what their strengths are and what they need to do next to improve, I think, is, is the key thing we want to see, isn't it? That's it. And I think that all stems from really good embedded formative assessment strategies. Mm-hmm. And actually, formative assessment strategies, I think, is a misnomer calling it assessment because actually it's really mm-hmm. just good quality teaching and learning. Yeah. And I think lots of people have maybe misunderstood it a little bit because it comes under the bracket of assessment, Definitely. whereas actually it's just about discussing learning, talking about learning in a way that you can modify it and improve attainment moving forwards. And I think that's um, a really good starting point for this discussion. So what we're going to be Definitely. looking at and having a bit of a um, chat about is um, strategies that, that we've seen in classrooms, things that we um, have observed that we think are really good, tips, hints and tips that we think about um, assessment for learning, but also just big wider topics to yeah. discuss around it. So we're going to go around the houses a bit, but I think probably I'd like to start off with questioning if that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's for me, and I know we've discussed this before, Jude, that is probably the key thing um, for good learning and teaching, whether it's questioning from the teachers, pupils questioning each other, um, it could be key questions about a topic, um, I'm thinking about some secondary um, subjects there, um, differences between kind of open question, closed questioning, but also really, really opening up learning, so it's really deep questioning about, you know, why are we doing this, why is it like that? You know, really, absolutely getting those high order thinking skills in there in terms of what we want to learn. Because I guess if you think about learning, it's really just answering questions. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think if, if that would be my one tip, uh, and, and it's uh, something that I talk about an awful lot um, when working with colleagues, it's something that I would say that if if questioning is is a big part of your classroom and if it's something that you spend a lot of time investing in and making that part of the culture of your classroom mm. and the ethos and the environment if you focus on questions I think that learning dialogue just happens by default I think children learners become very aware of the different range of questions that can be used to mm-hmm. stimulate learning for them to be able to understand something um, in the classroom in that learning environment at a much deeper level like you said and I think that's that is the key and it's something I think that maybe is overlooked sometimes mm. um, and it's maybe because it's not flashy and all singing and all dancing because questioning is really just the fundamentals of it but I think I would argue that you can't really do formative assessment properly without a really focused look at questioning, mm-hmm. questioning skills, really focused on that higher order thinking skills. So using Bloom's taxonomy, using the different levels, but also being explicit with the children about those levels mm-hmm. and actually getting them to be able to identify language, that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've done to uh, that's worked really well uh, with my class just this year, and it was an idea that I stole off the internet somewhere, but my class have created their own uh, Bloom's Buddies in the okay. classroom. So we've got 
and they came up with these uh, characters themselves, but they've drawn characters who are mm -hmm. up on the wall. So we've got Mike the Memory Minotaur, we've got Understanding Uptus, we've got Colin the Creative Chameleon, but these uh, are characters that they invite along to lessons. So we'll ask questions and I'll say, who asked that question, do they think? And they were like, oh, maybe that was um, Understanding Uptus, or maybe that was uh, Evaluating Emma that asked that question. But again, it's just bringing that mm. into the conversation and making it accessible yeah. so that they aware that these questions are at different levels yeah. and require deeper thought and actually they given them the tools to be able to access that yeah. has, has worked really effectively and I guess thinking about my kind of context in the secondary sector our focus would probably be a wee bit more on kind of key terms so I'm thinking about um, questions you know if we're linking to examinations describe evaluate those key terms about right what is that question asking you you know is it asking you to compare or contrast evaluate describe explain for me they're all different types of questions and that's a real skill that the young people in, in in my class in the secondary sector would have to learn yeah because they're having to meet a standard for an exam yeah um, and apply their knowledge um to problem solving type questions mm -hmm. um which are really important um I, I saw some really interesting practice when I, when I was observing a lesson, and it was actually in a chemistry lesson, um, and one of the, the types of questions that they had was an open question. So an open question um, was asking them to apply their chemistry knowledge, and they were to come to the answer. Now, the answer would be the same at the end, but the method in which they got to that was completely different. So it was really testing their application of their chemistry knowledge, yeah. not how to answer the question. So it was sort of that kind of real-life example. And there's almost two things that, that we're, we're talking about here, because there's teachers using effective questioning mm -hmm. to... Um, be able to generate assessment data from from the learners um, and creating these questions at, at different levels. But then there's also furnishing the learners with the understanding of these different terms Definitely. and, and that, that questioning can happen at different levels. And I think if you get that right, then the, the learning dialogue and reflections on their own learning mm -hmm. can happen at a much deeper level. So mm -hmm. when they're having that discussion about their learning and how they are working and how their skills are progressing i think if they've got a good understanding of a different um level of question the question goes from um can you remember what you learned today to how did you get on with learning today can you evaluate your learning mm -hmm. how how are you going to um apply this in future learning mm -hmm. it actually becomes a much deeper learning dialogue which i think is fantastic and when you see that happening uh, in class it's just really exciting mm -hmm. to see because you Definitely. can see learning happening right in front of you it's amazing absolutely and i think you know there's been a huge focus in the secondary sector on terms of tracking and monitoring and and where young people sit in terms of their strengths what level they're working at in the bge or what level in terms of kind of qualifications, you know, higher national five and what grade, mm. um, but what are their next steps? What do they need to do in order to, to improve? And I think that's the absolute key thing is how can you possibly move forward if you if you don't know your next steps? Yeah. Do you know? And it's, I know we're kind of dancing around lots of subjects here, but I think that leads on so nicely is about these questions that mm -hmm. then move on to, I suppose, formative assessment. The whole purpose of formative assessment is so that we can then change what we're going to do next. Mm -hmm. Now, both the learners and us as teachers, we can change. So identifying those next steps to say, okay, do we need to spend 
more time yeah. on what we were just learning because we've, there's misconceptions, we don't understand it. Let's change what we were going to do tomorrow so we can do this. Or do we need to move at a much quicker pace and increase the pace and challenge? But that can Definitely. only happen mm-hmm. with really sound formative assessment mm-hmm. strategies within your class. Because you need to know where young people are at, don't you? Like If you don't know exactly. the young people, you're essentially just lecturing and you're just you're just assuming that they are taking all this in and they're applying it appropriately. So you absolutely need to to be able to know your young people through Yeah, and you need to have those constant check-ins and Mm -hmm. conversations and that dialogue with the learners in your class to be able to know where they are, to be able to change what you're doing. And I heard someone say once that if you could teach your whole lesson the same way with like to an empty room Mm -hmm. then you need to change that because if you you can only teach and teach your lesson if there's those learners in front of you that are changing what you're doing on almost on a minute by minute basis you know and I think that's for me that's quite liberating because it's it goes away from that point of I've got my hour lesson that Mm -hmm. is planned specifically down to the minute and actually you're not going to be able to impact that at all as a learner it really turns it and puts it's empowering for the learners because they are front and center and it really becomes Mm -hmm. pupil led that way with formative assessment strategies definitely I think what in terms of some of the tips the real one I love um, and I love to see this and love to use this is the check for understanding. So, you know, whether it's giving an instruction, whether it's explaining a task or explaining an idea, you know, even just with a shoulder partner, asking them for 15 seconds, talk to your partner about what exactly this is. Um, And then getting some feedback where it's whole class feedback or whether it's paired feedback or whether it's for group feedback. I just think that check for understanding is so important. And and that's something that, probably would benefit, you know, some teachers because they'll say, does everyone understand that? And that's not a check for understanding, is it? That's just, that's passive. (laughs) It's so passive. It's unbelievable. It is. And I think it's it's that that checking for understanding, there there are countless ways. Do you know it's that sort of fist to five, traffic lights, there's so many digital tools Mm -hmm. that that, that can be used to, to kind of collect that data as well. I think, it's a very, very quick Google search and you could at least come up with 30 right away. But I think one misconception that I see is that often that is left right till the end. Yeah. And then actually the kind of real uh, value in assessment for learning is actually looking at it throughout. Ongoing. Ongoing yeah. throughout. Yeah. So maybe at not not just at the end of a unit, but, or, but actually throughout a lesson. So actually planning in maybe every 15 minutes, stopping, yeah. getting the learners to think um, about relevance about why they're doing this about how if they're enjoying it and it's these big overarching questions that that if you build up a bank of them yeah that actually they they they, they're quite easy and they're really easy to replicate that if you stop at key points throughout your lesson and have that conversation it's so valuable and it might take away from activity time so the children might be doing less but i would argue that actually having that discussion is much more important totally one thing i used to use um in my computing science classroom around the computers we had beneath each computer we had a little um pyramid or triangle thing that had green amber red um and every young person had this in front of them so whatever tasks they were working on they would put it to green amber red depending on their their need for help or level of understanding and they would adjust that so they were trained up to adjust that as they were working throughout Uh, the task so that I could find out, right, who needs my help most. So I would be targeting 
the one that had red first, then those on, on amber, and then going around those who were on green. And that was actually something you could move it to their desk in the middle when you were doing a kind of a theory-based part of the lesson. And that was really useful, yeah. just in terms of getting that feedback. And it's immediate, real, real totally. time feedback as well. Um, I like that a lot. And I, I like the visual element of yeah. that as well. Mm -hmm. um, something that I do, a visual thing in, in my class, and it was something, again, that was done in consultation with the, with the children. It was their idea that came up with with the the images that we used but we've got it's like a timeline of a, a baby learning to walk so it's like a baby kind of just lying not able to do anything um not able to walk rather and then it kind of progressing through the stages so walking with a sort of walker and then walking confidently and learning how to walk on my own mm -hmm. and it's thinking about that and it really links back to the growth mindset stuff that we were talking about yeah. in the last episode it's mm -hmm. about it's constantly trying to do something and just because you're finding something hard doesn't mean that you're failing at something yeah. it just means you're on that journey of You'll learning get there, and yeah, what definitely. do I need to do to support you through mm -hmm. to that next level so you're becoming more and more confident mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe just one of the other things that we'd like to talk about around um, assessment for learning would be self and peer assessment do you have much of a yeah. What's your thoughts on that? I think, well, we've actually been, I've been looking at this quite with a, a heavy focus actually in my, my work um, over the last couple of weeks because we've been looking at a kind of department review um, and been really pleased to see the amount of kind of um, peer assessment that goes on. You know, young people working together and mm -hmm. talking about their learning um, and really having that ownership of their learning as well. I mean, I go back to something that we heard from um, Fergal Kelly from Scottish College for Educational Leadership about unleashing classroom leadership. And it was aimed at teachers taking that ownership of their learning in the class, but actually handing that ownership of learning from the teacher over to the pupil. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of totally is, is the message of assessments for learning, isn't it? That's what it's all about. They should it? be in control. It's about empowering the learners to know that they are right at the centre of the learning. And actually, it's really liberating for teachers to be able to do that because it becomes a really engaging process and you get motivation, relevance and pupil-centred learning. They're just... I when when you see it really done really well, mm -hmm. you just get incredibly motivated totally. learners. And actually, the, the interesting thing, and it's an interesting discussion for us, is that it's about how do we get that skill progression? Because it is a skill that mm -hmm. needs to be taught, self yeah. and peer assessment. Mm -hmm. How do we ensure that skill progression is really robust from the primary level right the way through? Mm -hmm. And it's actually about coming to a shared understanding where I think another part of this is that we need to moderate how we're doing formative assessment. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe we don't do enough of that. We moderate um, summative assessment processes, I would say, but actually moderating as a staff, but also as from primary to secondary, yeah. all these things. And maybe the reason we, you know, we still have summative assessment is because that is standardised. We yep. can control that a lot more. Um, it's under really controlled conditions. We've, we're not quite there yet, no. are we, with um, no, and I think actually forms of assessment? It's a much better thing, I would say, to work towards a clearer, shared understanding of the benefits of formative assessment, mm -hmm. what the picture is so much more accurate that we can get out of formative assessment, but it relies so much more on teachers' professional judgment, which is fantastic, but obviously there are so many pitfalls within that because mm -hmm. then down to one teacher's judgment can be so 
drastically different from another teacher in a different cluster or a different local authority. So I think there is a real need for moderation activities mm -hmm. around formative assessment, um, which, which I think is a really valid exercise to be doing and a discussion to be having. Um, but I think what's, what's really good, though, is the focus always comes back down down to the learner and the, the, that dialogue that, that's happening yeah, within the class. Definitely. Um, if you want to find a wee bit more out about uh, the topic we've been talk talking about, because we've obviously just scratched the surface really and we've kind of spoken widely about um, assessment in its widest possible form, um, I guess pointing you to Dylan Williams inside Black Box and also Shirley Clark's um, formative assessment book. She's got a range of, a, a range of books, series actually, of books, yeah. Um, and there's loads of research, tips, hints, um, there'll be loads of videos online. Follow them on Twitter um, just to get some ideas. We're recording this episode nine days before Christmas, so we did want to have a special Christmassy feel to it. Cue the jingle bells. <laughs> so what we've decided to do is we're going to do the 12 apps of Christmas. I did want to sing this, but Jude wasn't so keen. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard Jay sing before. <laughs> so, here goes. At 12 is IDCO. It's a teacher's planning app which helps you to pull together all your lesson planning, record grades, and also track and monitor progress for your young people. Uh, at 11, we have Explain Everything. It's a fantastic app that is essentially a recordable whiteboard. Um, it has amazing, um, really powerful multimedia editing software built into it as well. At 10 is Microsoft's OneNote. can be used as a, a teacher planning tool, can be used as a pupil learning journal. Um, they have additions such as Classroom Notebook. Really powerful. At number 11, where are we? <laughs> I can't remember. Number nine. <laughs> number nine. Can't count backwards. <laughs> we have Toontastic, a really fantastic animation app for, um, I'd say it's aimed at younger children, really good into the making the process of animation really accessible and easy. There's so many characters that they can manipulate fantastic app and it's just been bought over by Google so they love it Ooh. at number <laughs> I don't know where we are <laughs> at number 8 is <laughs> Simple Mind it is a really useful tool to help you create mind maps so free software you can um, have different layers and colouring really really useful um, and really flexible actually and you can make as many mind maps as you like wonderful coming in at number seven i had to write that one down <laughs> we have an app called byboard uh, b-a-i board it's an app i love it's essentially you create a, a shareable whiteboard um, where you share a pin and people can log into your whiteboard and just contribute so it's a really collective process but loads of people on different devices can all share and contribute to one um, whiteboard and contribute ideas it's a fantastic one and it works seamlessly so really good app at number six it's Plickers a really useful app to get instant feedback from young people when you're doing some sort of um, questioning you hold up your phone the young people have a little QR style code they turn it around to whatever answer they think it is whether it's A, B, C or D and the teacher just scans the room with their, their phone or their iPad and it automatically picks up everyone's answers and gives you feedback on who's right, who's wrong and where you, 
where you need to focus your attention. That app is the closest thing to magic I've seen. I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. Uh, coming in at number five, we have an app called Seesaw. I'm actually an official ambassador for the company. Um, I love this app. Um, it's essentially creating a really um, secure... Um, secure and controlled environment for people to be able to share their work in a classroom. It's very similar to your sort of Facebook feed, if you imagine it that way, but just for your class, you can comment, you can uh, put videos on people's work and children can comment on each other's work as well and it really creates that environment for self and peer assessment uh, within the classroom. At number four, it's Kahoot. It's a, a quiz style app which allows you to get instant feedback from young people um, it's a competition, so you get to see who's uh, highest ranked in the class, um, who's got things wrong, who, who's got things right, um, and really has that sense of competition. Fantastic. So much fun, Kahoot. I love it. Uh, at number three, another app that I'm an ambassador for, not that I'm showing off here, but uh, is Book Creator. Um, fantastic app for creating digital books, uh, creating ebooks. You can record. Um, uh, audio onto it, you can in, embed videos within the book as well um, it's just such a fantastic app uh, for sharing content and publishing it uh, in a digital way. At number two it is the Adobe Spark Suite um, so they've got Spark Video, Spark Page and Spark Post. I love Spark Post and you can make little um, logos or graphics made my Christmas card this year on Spark Post. Mm. Um, you can also make websites on Spark Page and you can make some really interactive, uh, fun videos um, on Spark Video. And our last recommendation is an app called Green Screen by Do Inc. Uh, it's a, an app that makes green screen software that, that ability to kind of replace backgrounds with the, anything that's in green colouring. Um, your sort of weather broadcast, <laughs> weather <laughs> forecast uh, video. But it makes it so accessible and easy to use that I've had a group of primary three children using it before so effectively, um, which is just fantastic. There you are, that's the 12 apps of Christmas for you. Uh, that's an early Christmas present, nice. nine days before Christmas. For A you. gift from Edubleather to you. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Moving on to our next feature is Inspired By. So Jude, tell us, what have you been inspired by for this episode? Uh, well, I suppose it's partly responsible for, for us doing this podcast actually. I've been inspired by many other educational podcasts but one of the main ones that I listen to uh, is a fantastic podcast called The Bedley Brothers. Oh right and who are they? Uh, Bedley Brothers two uh, brothers in America I don't know, somewhere in America <laughs> who That are, big land of opportunity <laughs> <laughs> Who are teachers, uh, they record very regular podcasts that are just fantastic and go into they, they get so many interesting guest speakers okay. on. Who have they had so far? Most recently and most notably they had John Hattie on. Wow. They've got a range of other speakers speaking about so many different things, about technology in education, about differentiation in education, about just key hot topics in education. So they are living the dream. Living then. the dream, yeah. Wow. Uh, fantastic. And what do you like about it? What do you like about listening to them. I quite like it because they really give across a sense that they've got a passion for education, they want to 
show that they're enthusiastic and motivated by it. And I always have a smile on my face when I'm listening to it because they give me so many great ideas. The speakers uh-huh. that they've got on are relevant. I always come away with it with, with at least two or three things that I want to try or a book that I want to read or great. a website that I want to check out. It's just really relevant and interesting. And, I, I and really although it's it. American, is it still relevant for Scottish education and Scottish educators? Yeah, because I think a lot of the topics that they discuss are real universal education topics and, okay. uh, and a lot of it a lot of the things that they recommend are real practical things that are really interesting resources or interesting websites to be using and none of it as much as it is very much set within an american context the speakers that they have on are from all around global, the world as well yeah. yeah so it's it's about education rather than about american education okay so go on sell it to me give me one tip one thing that they have recommended that you do and how has that impacted on your practice? Oh, that's a really good question. And it's, I, I don't know if I have an answer to it. Do you know, it's really funny. One of the, one of the, the biggest thing that's impacted on my practice actually is, is doing this, is doing the podcast. Because okay. they're, they're big advocates of, of sharing practice, of, yeah. of doing exactly what they're doing. And such lovely people as well. Because when I, on Twitter, I kind of reached out to them and said that, I'm I'm starting a podcast because I've been inspired by them and immediately they were they got back to me and said we'd be happy to help just let us know we can have a Skype conversation I just think it's fantastic and they're real advocates of doing podcasts and sharing practice so for me that's been the biggest thing that they've had an impact on me for they've got an amazing theme tune at the start as well it's some better than ours much better it's a guy who (laughs) (laughs) they do like a rap and I'm not going to do it for you now but I'd say Mm. go and check out the rap because it's wonderful and maybe there will be an edgy blether rap at some point Maybe. Maybe, maybe let's make it big first. <laughs> okay, thanks, Jude. Thank so we you. hope you have enjoyed this episode focusing on assessment and with our very Christmas special of the 12 apps of Christmas. And if you want to engage more with us, then please follow us on Twitter at EduBleather. You can also subscribe on iTunes or whatever um, podcasting app you use to listen to EduBleather. And the next episode of Edge of Leather is going to focus on computational thinking. I'm excited about that. It's a subject very close to both of our hearts and it's something that uh, might need to be a special hour and a half long episode. (laughs) Uh, Very much looking forward to it. Uh, We're going to bring you up to date interesting features in in the news section as well and just talk about developments in Scottish education. So from Jude and I, it's very Merry Christmas and we will see you in the new year.